Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. The Bible says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they saw him, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. In the early 2000s, I used to watch a popular television show called Fear Factor. It was hosted by a guy named Joe Rogan, and they had a disclaimer, and listen to what the disclaimer read, and I quote, Warning, the stunts you are about to see were designed and supervised by trained professionals. They are extremely dangerous and should not be attempted by anyone, anywhere, anytime. End of quote. We probably should have had some of those disclaimers when I was growing up, amen? You know what I'm talking about. Some of the things that we would do, like jump from the trampoline on the top of the barn, or, or ride wheelies, or, or jump ditches on our bicycles, but we should have had some of those disclaimers as well. But back to the show, the show called Fear Factor, contestants would compete on this show, and they would try to earn a prize of $50,000. If you've ever seen the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're re-airing that show even today. But if you've never watched the show, uh, listen to some of the things that would take place. What if you were told to lie in a coffin full of snakes and your partner had to transfer the snakes from the coffin into a bucket by using just their mouth? Think about that. Or if you were told to walk eight feet through broken glass barefooted. Barefooted. Or, or what if you were told to stick your head in a box full of 50 fang tarantulas and to keep it there for three minutes without making any sudden movements? Man. No doubt for, for many of us, including your pastor, the, the thought of doing one of those would cause great fear. I mean, each of these situations would have caused many people great fear. However, the game show and, and these contestants were designed, they, they, were, uh, they were supervised by mortal man, by trained professionals. And, and those who competed in these contests, they didn't have to do it. They had a choice to make. They're the ones that signed up and said, hey, let me go be a part of that game show. Let me compete in one of those crazy contests, not knowing what the contest was going to be before you got there, but they had a choice to make. Now, on the contrary, in the text before us this morning, 
once again, the disciples find themselves in a situation where they are terrified. It's just a, a, a few verses back and a few chapters back that they were terrified back then. And, and once again, they're in a similar situation. They're not competing, though, in a show called Fear Factor. No, they are living out everyday life. And as a matter of fact, I can't think of a time in my life when more people have been afraid. When more people have been terrified. You see, we're living in a global pandemic. And people are getting sick day by day. And if, if, if you tune in to the news for any lengthy period of time, you'll see that the cases are increasing by the thousands. Not just here in our state, but around this country. According to the CDC's website, stress during an infectious disease outbreak can sometimes cause fear and worry about your own mental health, about the health of your loved ones, about your financial situation, or your job, or loss of support services that you rely on. It can cause changes in sleep and eating patterns. Patterns, a difficulty sleeping or concentrating, worsening or chronic health problems, worsening or mental health conditions. I mean, this would be more than enough. But, but on top of all of this, businesses are closing. Jobs are being lost. Our country is divided over politics. Racial tensions are high. Protests, riots, and vandalism continue to make the headlines. And don't tell me for a moment that you have not been or are not afraid. We can relate to the situation that the disciples once again find themselves in. And here's what I want you to know. If you're in that situation today, you and I are in good company. Amen? These guys were in the situation, and they were right there in the presence of Jesus. They could reach out their hands and touch the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us may say today, well, if I could do that, Pastor, I wouldn't be terrified, and I wouldn't be afraid. But that's simply not true. You would be just like these disciples were. This morning, for the next few moments, I want to lay five truths on your heart in a message that I've simply entitled, Do Not Be Afraid. Now, this is not a clever title that I've come up with. I mean, I'm not a genius in creating my title. No, I've taken the title straight from the text. Amen? Jesus said, Do Not Be Afraid. So how, and, how can you and I continue to, to follow His instructions, to heed His advice, and to overcome fear? This is how you do it. You've got to understand, first and foremost, His plan. His plan. In verse 45, we see Mark once again use this word immediately, euthus. It's used numerous times, some 40 times throughout the gospel. It means straightway, for, uh, forthwith, at once, immediately, Mark says. I like to think of it this way, without hesitation, without delay. He says, immediately, Jesus had his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. Now, do you think Jesus knew what they would encounter on that sea? Absolutely. 
He knew exactly what they would encounter. But Jesus instructs the disciples to get into the boat and he sends them ahead of him to the other side. Now keep in mind where they're located. They're on the, the northeastern shore headed back over to the western shore. And as we've been studying through Mark's gospel, you've seen this time and time again. One side they're on the east headed to the west and then they're on the west side headed back to the east and it's like they're going back and forth. John 6, 17 says that they got into the boat and they went over the sea toward Capernaum. Perhaps they were south of Bethsaida. That's where they were in the, in the desolate place when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. They had just witnessed firsthand this miracle of Jesus. And now Jesus instructs them to go back over to the other side. But instead of, of going directly across, I believe that they were headed along the shoreline back over towards Capernaum. But whatever the case may have been, shortly you'll see that their course drastically changed. And once again, the disciples are faced with a choice. They have to decide what they're going to do with the instructions that Jesus gives them. Don't overlook that. It's easy for us to think that, oh, these were the disciples. I mean, they got everything right, right? No. They were just ordinary men, just like you and me. They had a choice. Would they respond to Jesus in obedience? Like they did back in Mark chapter 4 verse 36. And I wonder which of the disciples might have been fearful at that moment. I mean I want you to think about it. Not long ago they encountered the storm on the sea. And of those disciples, wonder which of those guys said, I don't know, I don't know man. I don't know if we need to get back into the boat or not. You remember what it was like that night we were out there and we encountered those winds and the waves, and we thought we were going to die? And we said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Can't, can't you see that we're about to die? This, this boat we're on is going under. So to be sure, some of them were thinking that. I mean, come on, for real. When you've done something in your life that you've been terrified and you were asked to do that again, what do you think? I, I don't know about that. I, I don't know if I need to, to do that or not. But they followed Jesus' instruction. I mean, these guys had toiled on this sea for many days and for many nights and, and for many years. I mean, they understood what the circumstances could be like. And they understood that the, the circumstances could be overwhelming. And that night, they were terrified. They, they thought that they were going to die. But in all of that, what I want you to see is this. Jesus had a plan for them. In their own mind, I don't think they would have chosen to be out there in the middle of the sea and encounter a storm. But Jesus had a plan for them, and what I want you to see is that He has a plan for you today. Even through what it is that we're going through, Jesus has a plan for you. And, and chances are high that the plan that you have for your life is not the plan that Jesus has for you. How many times has the Lord altered your plans? How many times? I mean, I could have person after person testify to that being true. If you're honest, think about the plans that you have. I mean, for the most part, if we could come up 
with our plan that, that we could live out. I mean, for the most part, it would be all sunshine and no roses, right? I mean, for the most part, it would be no rain and no thorns, no heartaches, no sickness, no... So I don't remember once as a child when I'm thinking about where I want to go to college and what I want to do with my life. I don't remember one time sitting down, well, man, I want to have a little bit of sorrow. I, I want to have a little bit of heartache in my life. I, I want to have a few difficulties in my life. No, that's not the plan that we desire. That's not the plan that you and I want. And, and we falsely believe that the same is true when it comes to ministry. The more people we have, the better, right? I mean, man, if we could just next Sunday pack this church out, everything would be better. That's not true. I want you to think about the thousands upon thousands that followed Jesus. I mean, this Jesus guy's in town. we got to see him. And the thousands upon thousands that walked away from him when he said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Do what? This guy's crazy. You're telling me I've got to do that? The more technology we have, the better. No, no, no. None of those things are going to make it better. I want you to listen to how Dave Harvey, uh, listen carefully what Dave Harvey says in this article entitled, How to Know You're Really Preaching the Gospel. Listen to what he says. And I quote, Ministry isn't about numbers. It's not about bigger, better, and brighter. It's not about kicking butt and taking names. Ministry is messy. Even during a pandemic, it's even messier. Ministry is complicated. Ministry is about becoming less impressed with yourself and more smitten with the Savior. End of quote. It's His plan. Following His plan may not take you where you want to go, but it'll lead you where you want to be. Amen. Praise God for that. It'll lead you where you want to be. I mean, that's good stuff. To follow Him day by day, moment by moment, what you've got to do is you've got to take your eyes off of yourself, off of the circumstances around you, and place them on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You're to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you overcome fear by understanding and following not your own plan, but by following His plan. Notice secondly though, we see His prayer. I love this. I love this. His prayer, we find this in verse 46. Verse 46 says, And bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. So Jesus sent the disciples on their way. He said, you guys go this way, I'm going this way. I'm going to head over here to the mountain to pray. And this is something that Jesus did not just once, but Jesus did this time and time again. We have a number of incidents that are recorded in Scripture. But back in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Listen to what Mark said there. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. And what I've come to learn over the years is this. If Jesus needed to pray, don't you think I need to pray? 
Don't you think you need to pray? I mean, if Jesus, God in the flesh, felt that it was important to, to get away from the craziness of the world and spend time with the Father, don't you think you and I need to do the same? It's hard to get away from noise. Especially at the Lee house, amen? There's noise all the time. But for you, it's probably difficult to get away from noise. How many of you just turned the television on just for a little bit of background noise? It's difficult. So you have to make it a priority to get away. But we're to follow Jesus. We're to imitate Jesus. And here we see that Jesus goes away to a solitary place to pray. And Jesus gave the disciples instructions. He gives us these instructions as well. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, When you pray. When you pray. Not, not if you pray. So, so Jesus felt that we would be praying. He said, when you pray, go into your inner room, into your prayer closet. I don't know how many times I've sat down at my desk and I've taken a deep breath. I'm going to spend a little bit of time praying. I mean, I get in my position, I get my Bible out, and as soon as I start to pray, what happens? Ring, 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 ring. The phone starts ringing. Text messages. The door opens. Whatever it may be. Without exception. That happens. So Jesus said here, to go away to your prayer closet. Now some of you don't go home and say to your husband or wife, we've got to build a closet. We've got to build a closet here. I mean, I need a prayer closet. It doesn't mean a physical. If you want a prayer closet to go in, you can do that. But, but it's a place that is a solitary place. A, a designated space where you can go and where you can pray that's free from distractions, free from cell phones and TVs and electronic gadgets and social media and Internet and Facebook and all of this stuff where God has your undivided attention. And I'm going to tell you, being honest and straightforward, that's challenging. Even when you hop in the car, because if you're like me, the first thing I do when I hop in the car is I want to turn on the radio. So I have to be intentional about not turning on the radio and, and just listening. As the psalmist said in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. So it's a place where God has your undivided attention. A place where you can commune with God. A, a place where you can be free from distractions. And this is what Jesus did. And you and I are to do that as well. So what do we do when we go to this solitary place? We're to pray. We're to communicate. Communicate with God. Communicate with our Heavenly Father. And praise God that Jesus is our intercessor. He's seated at the Father's right hand. And if you're taking a prayer to the Father, it's got to go through Jesus. And we're praying not in of our own strength and power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers. So here we see Jesus' prayer. I won't go into it for time's sake, but I would encourage you to write this down. John chapter 17. This is uh, known as the high priestly prayer. And here John was praying for his disciples 
Even while he was here on earth, he was praying for you and I. And that's encouraging to know. Notice thirdly, though, his power. His power. These points I've made really straightforward because I want you to write them down and I want you to remember them. His plan, his uh, prayer. And then here we see his power that's found in verses 47 and 48. Now, Jesus was alone on the land. He was on the mountain praying. And the disciples find themselves not along the edge of the sea, but they find themselves in the middle of the sea. Now, make a note of this. It appears as though they were blown off course because if they were on the outskirts of Bethsaida and they were headed back towards Bethsaida, Bethsaida is not on uh, the opposite side of the sea. So it appears that they were blown off course here and the Bible says that they were straining at the oars. They didn't have a mercury outboard motor. Amen? I mean, they had the good old-fashioned... That's what I did when I used to fish. I wanted a trolling motor so bad. And my dad had an old trolling motor, but it was so sophisticated and difficult to get a marine battery and to get it charged and to do all this stuff. Man, you should have seen me with that paddle. I would sit on the front of my little boat. I'd sit on the front of my little boat, and I'd take that paddle with one hand. It was a little short paddle, and son, I'd be all over that pond with one hand. I love doing that. I'm like, I don't need a motor. I got my little oar here. Going at it. So they were straining at the oars, the Bible says. And I want, you to, I want you to visualize this with me, if you will. Now, follow me. This is good. And this helps us to understand what we're looking at. The Sea of Galilee in northern Israel is about 13 miles from north to south. The Jordan River flows into it, flows out of it. The Jordan River flows from the north of Israel down to the Dead Sea. It's about 13 miles north to south and about 8 miles from east to west. They were in the middle of the sea. So how far were they out? They were about four miles out in the sea. About four miles out in the sea. It's dark. What does the text say here? The text says that it was the fourth watch of the night. In other words, it was between 3 and, and, and 6 a.m. in the morning. I mean, it was dark. I don't want to be out in the middle of the sea at that time. You with me? But they were out in the middle of the sea. And they were well out of sight. If Jesus was on the mountain, they're four miles out. How's he going to be able to see them? You follow me? How's he going to be able to see them? And it brings me great comfort today to know that Jesus not only knows me. Listen to me. Listen to me. He not only knows me. He knows what I'm doing. He knows that you're here right now. For those that are worshiping online, he knows that you're there right now. He, he knows where you are, and He knows what you are doing. So in other words, there's not anything that you can hide from Him. Your life is an open book before Him. He knows it all. And there's not been a time when He has not, not, not known it all. He knows it all because He's omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you intimately better than you know yourself. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. And He knows all of this because of who He is. Jesus is not just a good man. We've come back to this time and time again. C.S. Lewis said he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And you've got to choose who he is. 
to you who is Jesus. He's the God-man. He's God Almighty. He's clothed in human flesh. And here we get a glimpse of His omniscience, that He is all-knowing. So Jesus knew where they were. He knew that they would encounter this storm. And, and today we categorize storms, right? I can't even tell you how many storms we've had this year. I mean, they're into the Greek alphabet, I think. Because there's tons of them that have blown through. Now, they weren't categorizing storms back then the way they do now, but this was an extremely powerful storm. And they were straining at the oars, the wind was against them, and Jesus was aware of the situation. So, not only do you get a glimpse of His omniscience here, you clearly see His omnipotence. Now, I'm throwing out some, some long words here. Omniscience, all-knowing, omnipotence. What is that? That He is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. And there's nothing or no one more powerful than God. So as we move through this gospel, we've seen time and time again His power. Think about just a few chapters back. He calmed the storm once already in Mark chapter 4. He, he got on uh, the land on the other side. And, and He said to the, the demons, come out of the man. He's cast out demons. He's gone back across the Sea of Galilee. And He encountered a man who had a daughter that was dying. He healed a woman of her sickness of her issue with bleeding, with blood. And then what else did he do? He raised a 12-year-old man's daughter from the dead. Don't tell me Jesus is just a man. Don't tell me Jesus is just an ordinary person like you and like me. No, what I want you to see is his power. And here we see something that no man, listen to me, no man can explain. Jesus walks on water. They can't explain it. Nobody can explain it. Nobody's ever done that before. Now, people will ask, well, how do you explain that? And I bet even that day people were scratching their heads and perhaps even the disciples saying, how do we explain this? Well, people try to do that today. Tony Marita says this, some try to explain this miracle away by saying that Jesus was walking on a sandbar. I mean, you wouldn't have seen his feet. You might have seen his ankles, right? And then he says that others would say that he was walking along the shoreline. Well, we can rule that one out, can't we? Where was he? The text says he was in the middle of the sea. If the sea is eight miles wide and he's in the middle, then he's four miles out. So they knew where they were. They knew where they were located and they knew what they saw was not ordinary. Jesus was walking on water and He was doing so because He has power and therefore you and I have to recognize His omnipotence, that He is all-powerful. He's got a plan. We see His prayer and even today Jesus is praying for us. His power, but notice also His protection. We find this in verses 49 through 51. The disciples witnessed the miracle firsthand. With their own eyes, they saw something they'd never seen before. They saw a man walking on water, and at first, they said, Hey, it's a ghost. Uh, they couldn't make out who it was at first. I mean, it was stormy. The winds and the waves were, were, were contrary. They couldn't make out exactly who it was. So they said, We think it may be a ghost. But what I want you to see is this. The sight alone struck fear in their hearts. 
Now, as a child, I know you've done it too. You've seen a ghost, right? I've had my kids ask me, are ghosts real? Well, the Holy Ghost is real. Amen? But they thought they were seeing a ghost. They were frightened. The Bible says they were terrified. Now, now don't, don't overlook this. It wasn't they were just scared. You're with me. I mean, if you're riding down the road and, you know, you swerve off the road. I mean, you may be scared, right? If you just swerve a little bit or something. Now, if you swerve like in the ditch, never mind. They, they were frightened. They, they were terrified. They were, they were anxious. They were afraid. And not only were they experiencing those emotions inside, they verbalized that by crying out. Now, I'm not going to wake anybody up. Y'all aren't sleeping, are you? I'm just, I'm just thinking, I'm wanting to like scream and cry out like they did to show you how they did that. But it's as though they were, just come over to my house this afternoon and, and you'll hear exactly what it was like that they were doing, amen? It, it never fails. Abby and Judah, they love one another. And they'll be, oh, I love you, I love you. And then the next moment, ah! And your kids probably do or did the same thing as well. But uh, it's like that around my house. Let me give you another example here. If somebody falls and gets hurt, w without exception, one of my kids will, will run in screaming, Aah! and I'm like, don't, if somebody gets hurt, don't do that. That just adds fuel to the fire, and it, it ramps me up. I'm getting ramped up right now. And it just adds chaos, an element of chaos. Do you follow me? So if somebody falls and gets hurt or hits their lip or something, just come to me and say, so-and-so fell. Let's go help them. <laughs> so, so this is the type. I bet the disciples were doing the same thing. I mean, John was looking over at Peter. Ah! And they're just acting crazy. But they were scared. They were terrified. And the same is true today. People today, listen to me. Listen to me. This is going to all tie right in. Listen. People today are tired. They're scared. They're frightened. Even in your own household, if you're honest. We've been in the same household for nine months. You're a little tense, aren't you? But, but, but think about how they were. they were. They were worried and they were afraid. They were terrified. And the circumstances were overwhelming. Overwhelming. But praise God. <laughs> Jesus intervened. And the same Jesus that intervened back then is the same Jesus that intervenes today. Jesus stepped into the boat he spoke a word, and immediately the winds and the waves ceased. Now, the text doesn't say it, but it was probably like glass on that sea. And this is what he said. And this is the words that I want you to hear today. If you hear nothing else that's been said, church, hear this. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Well, well, Pastor, he was talking about this storm. I believe he was talking not only about that storm, but any storm in life that you encounter. 
I've said this before. You're either going in, a, you're headed into a storm. You've just come out of a storm, right? You're either in a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or you're headed into a storm. The storms of life. Now, don't miss this. I, I love this. Listen to what Jesus says here. And, and, and this is something that we don't really capture in our English language, but it, it really identifies who Jesus is. Make note of this. He says, take courage, it is I. Listen to how the Amplified Version renders this verse. And I quote, take courage, it is I, I am. Stop being afraid. Hold on just a minute, Pastor. What did Jesus just say? Or who did Jesus just say he was? He said, I am. I am. Who else said that? Well, write this verse down. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Do you know what Jesus just did? Jesus just said to those disciples, I am not only Jesus, I'm God. I'm God. Don't tell me for a moment. People will say, well, Jesus never said he was God in the New Testament. Well, what did he just say here? He said, I am. Do not be afraid. Take courage. So Jesus is not just a mortal man, not just a good man. He is the God man in the flesh. John MacArthur says this, and I quote, Jesus not only demonstrated his deity, means that he's God. Through his supernatural power, he also claimed to be God with the words that he spoke, end of quote. So he claimed to be God by his actions and through his power and through his words that he verbalized as well. So praise God and thank him for his protection, that he stopped the wind, that he calmed the storms, and he's present in our lives today. Here's the last thing, and I'll wrap up. The last thing I want you to see is this, his patience, his patience. We find this in verse 52. Now this verse, uh, upon initial reading, may sound somewhat confusing, confusing but, but follow me as we, we look at this and I unpack this. 52 says, For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Now, when you, when you read it, it causes you to really scratch your head and wonder. I mean, what is this all about? Uh, the disciples, they'd been with Jesus. I mean, they'd seen this firsthand, yet they hadn't gained any insight as to what was taking place. I mean, they saw Jesus, they saw Jesus feed the 5,000. They were, for crying out loud, handing out the bread. But here Mark says they hadn't gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Listen to what John Phillips says as he explains what's taking place. And I quote, he says, The word for hardened suggests that they had grown callous, dull, void of understanding. We sometimes speak of those who have been raised under the sound of the gospel and yet who remain in their sins as being gospel hardened. Somebody's heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel. And their heart has become hardened. And they've chosen to walk away, to walk in their sins and not repent and respond to the gospel. He goes on to say, the disciples had become 
glory hardened. Think about the, the miracles that they had witnessed firsthand. They had become so used to seeing miracles that they no longer saw them. And even when they saw them, with their outward eyes, they failed to grasp their significance. Mark emphasis is on the sad fact, and doubtless Peter told him this, that their dullness had become a settled state of mind. They ought to have known and anticipated that the Lord, having seen them on their way, would see them through, come what may. End of quote. Yet they didn't. They're on the sea. They're straining at the oars. And they're freaking out. They are. When if they would have stopped, and, 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 and we're as guilty as anybody. I mean, we are. If we'd have been, if we'd have been, and I'm as, I'd be right there at the top of the list with you, amen? If I'd have been in the boat back at Mark chapter 4, and Jesus calmed the winds and the waves, and I'd have been in the boat again right here, I'd have been doing the same thing they were doing. Now, if you're super spiritual and you say, I wouldn't have done that. I've already seen Jesus calm the winds and the waves one time. I wouldn't have done that. You see me afterwards. I need to meet with you in my office. No, I'm teasing. But we would have been in the same boat. And this is what I want you to see. Here's the takeaway. Thank God for His patience. Amen. Thank God that He forgives not just one time or two times or three times or four or five or 500 or 5,000. If you confess it before Him, you know what He'll do? He'll forgive you. And He'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. And He will, listen to this, choose to remember them no more. That's a patient God. For those who do not yet know Jesus in a real and personal way, listen to this. Listen to what the Word says. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. So you need to thank Him for His patience. And what you need to do if you're not yet in Christ, is right now you need to repent of your sins and trust Jesus with your life. And become a part of the family of God. Now for those of us who are in Christ, what's the takeaway? What do we do? What's the application here? Well, thank God. Amen. Praise Jesus that He's patient towards us. And that He is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. Let me ask you this morning. What's causing you to be afraid? And do you understand that God has a plan for your life? That He's prayed for you. That He's powerful. That He's protecting. That He protects you. And that He's patient with you. If not, you can start today. Take courage, Jesus said. It is I. Do not be afraid. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. 
We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.